Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 25 through 28, and the message is entitled, Practical Daily Living. This is part one. Paul the Apostle has given to the Ephesians a tremendous contrast between the person who does not know God and the person who does. Verse 17 down to 24. The old man is spiritually dead and depraved in nature, while the new man is created according to what God is himself in righteousness and true holiness. The believer is to put away every work of the flesh by walking in the spirit, Galatians tells us. We cannot blame demons for our carnality. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world, 1 John 4, 4. Light and darkness can't comprehend or have the same vessel. It's a lie that Christians can be demon-possessed or that they can be forced. The flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, Galatians 5.17. And so even though you are born again, you can live a carnal life like a non-believer. Because you're walking in the flesh and you make provisions for the flesh when you don't have to because God has enabled you to be a godly man and a godly woman. It is a choice. Reckoning the old man is found in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 all the way to the end of chapter 7. Study it well. It's a choice. Chapter 6. It's a choice. Willful defeat. Chapter 7. Victorious victory. Chapter 8. Life in the spirit. Now. Paul moves from the general practice of putting off the old man and putting on the new man to a list very specific with sins that are to be put off daily, accompanying the proper practice of a Christian. We'll study it in two parts. We're going to look at verses 25 through 28 tonight and then 29 through 32 next time. As we have stated in our past study, all three, the putting away of the old man, or putting off literally, and the putting on of the new man, and the renewing in the mind, uh, in the spirit of our mind, all are done at the same time. It's not one, two, three. They're all done at the same time. But the connection between putting off and putting on is a renewing in the spirit of our mind. We have the mind of Christ. We have the spirit of Christ. We have the word of God. We, we are children of God. No one has been given inferior salvation. Everybody has the same quality of salvation. Too often when a person is confronted in generalities, there's no real confrontation or accountability. So Paul pinpoints particulars that need to be reckoned dead daily. It is not an exhaustive list, but he gives certain things that we'll look at. For remember, our sin nature is ever-present with us. You have a divine nature, you have the old sin nature. Let me read here, verse 25 through 28. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Paul begins 
by mentioning three sins that are prevalent in the old man, since sin nature is still residing in us, but prohibits the believer to practice them. They are as follows. First, the sin of lying, verse 25. Second, the sin of anger, 26 and 27. Third, the sin of stealing, verse 28. You would think you wouldn't have to tell Christians to stop doing this. But you do because they have sin nature still, right? You've lied since you've been a Christian, so have I. Okay? Anger? Want to get in line? Stealing? In various forms, we'll look at, probably. Let's begin here with the sin of lying. Notice the Apostle Paul prohibited the believer to lie. This is the negative. Therefore, putting away lying. Paul comes to some settled conclusions at this point. Paul comes to some um, uh, conclusion here based on this list. The word therefore means um, for this reason or in view of what has been stated. It looks to the previous, this is the conclusion. The list is not a mere random list if you look at it, but unified by what precedes the unity and harmony with the walk and the call of the believer in a worthy manner, as chapter 4, verse 1 says. That whole section from chapter 4, verse 1, all the way down to here is talking about unity of the body. Paul exhorted the believers to put away lying. Lying simply means falsehood. The tense is the error's middle voice, and we've talked about this, indicating since we have put away lying once and for all, looking back to the time of salvation. It happened at a punctiliar time, at a set time in the past, and therefore he calls that we shouldn't be there anymore. Literally, having put off lying. The same tense as in verse 22 that we saw. Now, the exhortation implies the ability to do what is asked being renewed in the spirit of our mind. So God never asks you or myself of something that we can't do. So a believer cannot say, not, I can't, Lord. All a believer can say is, I won't, Lord. Are we clear on that? The quote is from Zechariah. Listen to Zechariah 8.16. These are the things you shall do. Speak each one the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates for truth, justice, and peace. Falsehood contradicts any and all the truth in the word of God on any subject by corrupting it or twisting it. And men and women do this all the time. Um, and when people don't study the word of God, they may do it innocently, ignorantly, but they still do it. And those that know the word of God go, out, go ahead and twist it willfully sometimes. It happens either way. Falsehood is a contradiction to the truth of Jesus in verse 21. He embodies truth. It's a contradiction to the new man created according to God in verse 24. It says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed 
in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Remember Colossians, Ephesians, sister epistle, written at the same time, cover almost the same ground, but different focus on it. Now Paul exhorted the believer, notice, based on the righteousness and holiness of God, not the ethical and moral code of man. Look at verse 24. This request is based on God's holiness and righteousness, not man's moral ethical code. Not based on what man can do or, or, or his ability of, of, of right and wrong. God cannot lie. I can. But I also don't have to lie as a Christian. Don't confuse godliness with morality. You can be the most moral person. If you haven't repented, you'll end up in hell. You don't get to heaven because you're moral. You get to heaven because you agree with God that you're a sinner and you've asked forgiveness of your sins. So now he makes you godly. Now notice the Apostle Paul proclaimed the solution. A believer was to not only or to only speak the truth. This is the positive. So he always gives the negative, then he gives the positive how to resolve it. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Paul declared truth is to be the way of life for each and every Christian. We have the same Bible. We have the same Lord. We have the same Spirit. The word speak, laleo, means to utter a voice by the use of the tongue. It's real simple. No one else has the ability to speak with a language except for human beings. Dogs, parrots, elephants, they don't. Oh, they communicate a different way, but not in the language, a developed language. Only we humans are. The tense is the imperative present active, so it's not a suggestion. It's a command to keep on doing it, present active. This is to be going on consistently in the life of the new man. In and by the Holy Spirit of God. The word truth, aletheia, we've seen that before. It means what is true in any case or category under consideration. There is um, no article present, and this is the fourth time it occurs. So it's not the truth, the specific truth from others. It's the truth. Truth as an objective thing. Today, the world doesn't accept objective truth. It's subjective. You fill in the blank. Everything's relative. There's no right. There's no wrong. No. There's objective truth. The Bible is objective truth. Going to hell, going to heaven is an objective truth. It's not subjective. This is the fourth time it first appeared in Ephesians 1.13 for the truth as the nature of the gospel. Gospel of truth. And 421, for the truth embodied in Jesus. 424, for the truth to enable the new man. And then here, 25, for the truth of a believer is to live by, towards others. Now, notice Paul declared truth is to be in relationship to his neighbor. Neighbor simply means a friend or another person. Who's ever near to you, close to you. God created Adam and Eve for community and relationship that are nurtured and strengthened only 
in and by the truth. You cannot have true community and fellowship if you if, if your relationship is based on lies. It's impossible. Doesn't strengthen it, doesn't enhance it. Lies deceive and destroy people's relationship, families, and community. Just look at our world. Today, no one can be trusted. People say things that they're not true, and they have no problem with it. No one knows what is true. Nobody knows who, who can trust who. Satan's the father of lies, as you know, the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. John eight forty four and John 10, 10. Now, notice at the end of 25, the Apostle Paul declared the reason every believer is to speak truth, for we are members of one another. So the neighbor has to be interpreted in the context of the church of Jesus Christ. Okay? Not the neighbor down the street, though that is still applicable, but he's talking specifically about the body of Christ, beginning verse 1 all the way down, the body of Christ. We are members in particular, as you know, which he has told us in chapter 1, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In chapter 2, verse 16, and that he might reconcile them both to God, Jew and Gentile, in one body, through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. In chapter 4, verse 16, for whom the whole body Join and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effect of working which every part does its share causes growth to the body or of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Paul says we are interdependent and interrelated as brothers and sisters, the body of Christ. Being interdependent, we need one another. Being interrelated, we affect one another. My hand is dependent on my wrist and my arm. My arm is dependent on the shoulder and my back. Every part of my body is dependent and related to each other, just like you and I. Paul has been on the topic of unity from the beginning of chapter 4, as I said. Notice in verse 1. He pleaded with them to walk worthy of their calling. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, forbearing one another with love. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Verse 4, there is one body, one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope of your calling. In verse 5 and 6, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ. Christ's gift, interdependent, interrelated, unity, one, Jew, Gentile, one, in Christ. You see, it's possible that you as a Christian, you are thinking constantly about the differences of people rather than the unity of the body of Christ. When Christians ask me, what is your church mostly made of, Mexicans? Because, I'm, you know, I'm Mexican. That's such a stupid question. My church that God has given to me is made up of American Christians. Some of them happen to be Mexican. Some happen to be black. 
Some happen to be Oriental. Is that the correct thing they say? Or is it Asian? Whichever one? I don't even know. In other words, I don't look at the race or the color. I see you as American Christians. But the world mindset wants to divide. Wants to provoke. You're Christians. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Nowhere is it more evident or more important the aspect of not lying than in marriage. It's important for unity, trust, confidence, peace, for love to flourish. Our relationship to Christ is a marriage. And so, by not lying, we enhance love. We strengthen a relationship with each other. Lying can be done in various ways, by exaggerations, by distortions, by half-truths, by withholding the whole truth. People lie about the darnest thing and everything. All you have to do is look to the law. All the things that are said that people lie about. Well, God says, don't do this. If you do this, you get this. Read, read the law, some of the things they do. Put a stumbling block for a blind man. Accusing a wife of not being a virgin when she was. Sleeping with their auntie. That's, those warnings and prohibitions to the people of God, by the way. We did the darnest things. Proverbs twelve twenty two says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. A false witness shall not go unpunished, and he who speak lies will not escape, Proverbs 19.5. You know, you might think the liars are stupid, and they are because they lie, but they're pretty smart people. Because to be a liar, you have to remember all the lies that you've said. And some people are good at that. But sooner or later, you're going to be exposed. Because you always have to try to remember, what did I tell him? Did I tell him this or did I tell her that? Once you let the cat out of the bag, it's out. You're busted. Truth is always the best decision. Though it can be very costly at times, personally, or for your family. We've all heard the saying that honesty is the best policy. Though it's not biblical, it's absolutely accord with biblical principles. <laughs> when I went to school, they taught me that George Washington never told a lie. I chopped down the cherry tree. Today, they say George Washington had a mistress. They focus that he was a sexually loose person not a person who told the truth all the time. That's rewritten history to corrupt and divide America. What they teach is a lie. <laughs> and if you don't think lies affect people, families, cities, nations, and the world, you better go back to the garden. Satan's lie brought the fall. Wow. 
There's no such thing as a little lie, a white little lie. Truth develops trust. Truth develops confidence. Truth develops oneness. Truth develops fellowship. Truth develops unity. Truth develops love. Truth is an awesome, awesome thing. So the believer is not to lie, but to speak truth. Because we're new creatures in Christ Jesus. Second, he says, and he mentions the sin of anger, verse 26. The Apostle Paul, notice, prohibited the believer to be angry and sin. That's the negative. Be angry and do not sin. Paul is condemning here a specific anger or a specific result of anger. He's not condemning all anger at all times. This is a quote from Psalm 4.4. It's from the Septuagint of Psalm 4.5, a verse difference. The word angry here is orgizo, orgi, either one. Uh, It means to provoke to anger or to arouse anger. The context is habitual righteous anger, though, leading a believer to sin if you don't deal with it properly. This, again, is an imperative command in the present tense, in the middle voice. The believer has the ability to be spirit-controlled. Putting off the old man, putting on the new man, being renewed in the spirit of our mind. Verse 22 through 24. Notice Paul knew this was a righteous anger. It will not lead us to sin, but honor God. The anger of the Lord in the Old Testament, as you know, is righteous. By um, virtue of his holiness. And his wrath is poured out on sin and evil. And that's what he does. Revelation 6, 17, his wrath is poured out during the tribulation period. From the throne of God. It's deserved judgment. It's righteous anger, wrath. Moses was angry as he came down from Mount Sinai. Righteous anger. Because the children of Israel had corrupted themselves. Psalm 97 says, you who love the Lord, hate evil. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. With righteous anger. Moses struck the rock in unrighteous anger and he sinned because he misrepresented the people. God wasn't mad. That's different. That's bad. Some people say, well, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm Italian. I'm Mexican. That's your problem. That's not. If you're a Christian, you can't say that. It's not your nationality. It's not your race. Not your temp- it's, it's your sinfulness. Put a muzzle on it. Jesus demonstrated his righteous anger in the temple. Mark 3, 5, John 2, 13 through 17. As he turned over the tables, the money changers and ran them out with a whip. 
righteous anger. If you don't have righteous anger about some of the stuff that goes on in the world and everything, then you've got a bigger problem. Paul told Thessalonians that the wrath, or gay, same word here, had come upon the Jews for hindering the Gentiles to hear the gospel and to be saved in 1 Thessalonians 2.16. He was rashly angry because they were hindering the gospel. They were keeping Gentiles from being saved. That's a good righteous anger. But then notice, the Apostle Paul proclaimed the solution, the believer was not to allow wrath to linger. Verse 26 at the end. This is the positive. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, Paul is giving good counsel to not go from righteous anger, the word that we just looked at at the beginning of verse 26, by seething in one's mind and heart with vicious anger. And going further, the word wrath now is paraorgismo. It means to irritate and to exasperate. There's another word prohibited, thumos, turbulent, commotion, agitation. And it's translated wrath in verse 31. So there's two type of angers we are prohibited from. And then we have the righteous anger we just saw that we are allowed as long as we stay in the confounds of that and we don't move into sin. Okay? So the believers to resolve all his issues of, of the day, day by day, at the end of the day, so as not to go to bed angry and have no peace. Do not let it set it says here, another imperative, present active at all times. Do not let. The same word will be used for parents, by the way, to not provoke their children to wrath in Ephesians 6, 4 when we get there. Exasperate them. Parents can do that. Easy. Notice Paul understands that this type of anger is wrong. It causes a person to dwell and to rehearse an incident leading to more and greater sin due to pride, having had personal injury. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. David prayed, Lord, put a door on my lips. Ooh. Good advice. This type of seething, festering wrath will hurt the individual mentally, emotionally, and physically. I believe gallstones sometimes, cancers. Some of the things that come upon us is because of constant anger. Bad chemicals going through our body.
This type of wrong anger needs to be dealt with by the injured person with the Lord first to get right, then the culprit. Jesus said, leave your gift behind. Go take care of it first and then come to God. Matthew 5, 23 through 24. Right? Don't come and offer God things when you're not right. Overcome evil with good, Romans 12, 21 says. You say, well, that's impossible. We're Christians, right? We're Christians. I can't say it's impossible. I can say I don't want to. I can say I don't like to do it. But I cannot say I cannot do it. Are we all agreed on this? Note the Apostle Paul then gives the reason by prohibiting the believer from allowing Satan to rob him of his peace, nor give place to the devil. Paul literally says, and stop giving place. The word give again is another imperative present active in the negative now. A negative so you can have a positive. If you obey it, and you get the benefit of it, right? I get the benefit. The thing that is not to be permitted is a place. The word topos, it means any portion of space marked out from the surrounding territory. Your life. Don't... Um, in other words, he's saying, do not give Satan a foothold, an open door, any opportunity in any area of your life to harass you, to discourage you, or to take your joy and peace. You need to allow him to do that. He cannot do it without your permission and mine. Are we clear on that? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. So I'm busted when I lose my peace and my joy. It is my fault alone. No one else's. I can't even blame the guy with the red PJs. I've let him in. You let a burglar come in your house and Take what he wants. You, you can't call a cop and say, hey, this guy broke in. You let him in. They come over and ask, well, how did he get in? Well, I opened the front door. Um, did, did, did he force you? No, I, I just told him, take whatever you want. That's first of what we do to Satan. Take whatever you want. Wow. It's an ugly picture, isn't it? The devil, diablos, that's the word for devil in Spanish. <laughs> that's the word in Greek. Diablos, it means slander, false accuser. He, he's accuser before, of the brethren before God. He comes and says, look at, look at Xavier. And you, you call him your servant? Look what he did. And you know what? He's absolutely right. I did do that. And Jesus looks to the father and says, he's one of mine, dad. He's asked forgiveness. He's mine. 
He accuses you and I day and night. Wow. Paul is implying that to not resolve our wrath issues before the day is over is to give opportunity to the slander, the devil, giving him ways to cause us to sin. Not only robs your peace and joy, but he causes you and gives you reasons and provokes you in ways for you not to sin. Because now I'm going to say or do or think or whatever. And it's not going to be good. We're not ignorant to Satan's devices. Second Corinthians chapter 2 verse 10 11 tells us. We know what a ratty is. We know how he works. Stratagems of the devil. We'll see that in the warfare in chapter 6. The armor. We're to submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee, James 4, 7 tells us. You see, he roams as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, in 1 Peter 5, 8. He loves roasted Christian, sleepy Christian, carnal Christian. Wow. You remember Cain's anger towards Abel? It led him to lie deceptively and then to kill his brother in Genesis 4, 5, and 7. Remember Joab lied to deceive Abner, calling him back as he went back and made a covenant with David in order to kill him because he had killed his brother Abishai, Second Samuel 3. You see, you can't just be angry because then you're going to do something else. And if you don't resolve it and confess and get rid of it and get that, you'll lead to someone else. Don't ever think that you couldn't kill somebody. You just have things happen. And you think about them long enough. And you just don't get right with God. And you keep carrying that thing one step at a time. You would be amazed what you will do. Behind righteous anger is the affront of something or someone offending a believer. It could be something that is presented or embraced by the secular society that is unethical or immoral. But it should not lead us to sin in thought, word, or deed. Because we understand society is lost. We should have righteous anger. But it shouldn't lead us to sin. James 1, 19-20 says, um, So then, my beloved brethren, do not, or let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's a warning. If I pursue, if I don't deal with that wrath, And I move outside the parameters of righteous anger and move into unrighteous anger. I will not produce the righteousness of God. I will produce my own unrighteousness. We know the world is lost, blind, and deceived. We can see a two-way street. The world only sees a one-way street. Second Corinthians 4, 3-4 says, 
But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is in the who is the image of God, should shine upon them. They're held captive at his will, Paul tells Timothy. You and I used to be there. When you were our party, when I was our party, we were running around, cruising the streets, doing whatever, blind, dead. We thought we were living. We can't forget that. That's the world. Behind righteous anger, there are many personal offenses that must be dealt with. And can only be dealt with by forgiveness. Or it will lead to sin. There's no other way you can deal with it. The offense could regard sexual matters. Lying about your past, whatever, you fill in the blank. Adultery. As I said, all these sins, if you go through the law, that a husband would accuse a wife of a false charge of her purity, or that a wife would lie about her purity to the man. Both sides are taken in the law. Or that they would lie about something that was left in their trust, and they say somebody stole it. Or that they would go barter, and they would buy with lighter weights and sell with heavier weights. All that's in the scripture. And it's given to the people of God that we not be like the world, like where we were. We should be different all the way. The offense could regard gossip, defaming your name, spreading lies. It could be a mere insult to provoke you as a believer. All of these and many others are resolved by repentance and forgiveness or they will be a deterrent to the offended person by becoming resentful, bitter, and vengeful. I don't think I'm speaking to myself alone tonight. (laughs) We're all made of the same stuff. Proverbs 14.10 says, The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joys. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. We can allow, um, that's Hebrews 12, 14 through 15. We can allow situations or things to take place that all of a sudden all we see life is black and white. There's no living color anymore. Oh, I go to church, I read the word, but there's no joy in my heart. There's no zest. Oh, it's a new day. Look how beautiful the, yes, good morning. And I'm a Christian. Hmm. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32, when we get there next time, but it says, let all bitterness, 
wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That's not a suggestion. That's an obligation and a command. Because no one will ever sin against you as much as you have sinned against God. And he has forgiven you every time. Wow. You can cross-reference that with Colossians 3, 12 through 14. It's almost the same little difference. That's why Paul says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. So the believer is not to allow righteous anger to lead to sin, but be spirit controlled. The third sin is in 28. The sin of stealing. The apostle Paul prohibited the believer to steal. This is the negative. Let him who stole steal no longer. So Paul addressed those who made their living by stealing prior to becoming Christians. That's the way they lived. That society and that world that did it. Nothing wrong. The word stole simply means to commit theft, to take something that doesn't belong to you. You go back to the Eighth Commandment, shall not steal. The principle here, or the participle, is present active again. It's timeless. This is what they did. That's how they lived. The imperative command follows literally no more let him steal or stop stealing. Which means some of the Ephesians probably were still stealing. All right? They still have sin nature, right? The present active imperative. This was to be their manner of life now. To not steal. It implies there has been a change from the old man to the new man, but also that Christians can still steal if they don't walk in the spirit and depend on reckoning the old man dead. You remember Onesimus, the runaway slave, stole from Philemon, little book of Philemon, one chapter. And he ran away to Rome. He got thrown in jail and got converted by Paul in jail. <laughs> What are the chances to run into Paul when Paul knew Philemon? (laughs) So Paul sent him back to be reconciled to his master Philemon as a saved brother now, though still a slave. Paul begged Philemon to receive him as a brother and that he himself would repay what he had stolen. Wow. Pretty heavy. Notice the Apostle Paul proclaimed then the solution. A believer was to work. Simple solution. This is the positive. But let him labor working with his hands what is good. So Paul gave the solution here. The believer was to be an example to other believers and unbelievers regarding the work ethic. The word labor means to work strenuously producing fatigue. Physically, and the same word is used also for fatigue in the spiritual ministry, doing the Lord's work. Paul uses that. The context will tell you the difference. The word is another imperative command, a present active to be in the habit of life. All these things, okay? 
The old man is not to be a habit of life. The new man is to be a habit of life. Real simple. This was the responsibility and privilege of the new man in Christ. What a privilege I have that I'm able to work and provide. The word working now means to trade, to do business, or to produce, to earn a living. A principle or a participle here in the present middle voice with his own hands. and He's doing the work himself. Every believer is to work. The quality of work was to be honest and honorable. The word good is agathos. We've seen it before. It means good in constitution or nature. That which would not bring reproach on the name of Jesus. So in other words, if you're a Christian, you're going to seek employment and have employment and something that's going to glorify the Lord and honor his name. So in other words, if you're a young lady and you're stripping for a living and you can't say you're a Christian and stay stripping again, you can't work in a club. If you're a guy and you're selling dope, you can't continue to sell dope. I'll say, well, I'll reduce a little price, you know, help the brother out, you know. Or, you know, be a bartender. You, you can't do that, right? But if you work for a grocery store, you don't have to change your, your occupation. You just have to make sure that you're honest on everything you do, right? I say this because there's a lot of compromise that's going on with the Christian community today. Taking greater liberties and still calling themselves Christians. Now notice the Apostle Paul declared the reason for the command to the believer to work in 28 there. That he may have something to give him who has need. Paul again is pointing the nature of the new man. He used to steal whatever he could from others. Now he works to provide for himself and to be benevolent. To others who have need. He used to be a taker. Now he's a giver. Paul is not teaching that the giving to the needs of others is to be a compulsion of duty. But rather a voluntary giving out of love and compassion. The Bible does not teach socialism of spreading the wealth like Obama preaches. That is stealing from the people. Hopefully we'll get a commander-in-chief and get rid of the commander-in-thief pretty soon. Paul was a great example of working with his hands to provide for himself and others, as you know. You can go through Acts 18, Acts 20, 1 Thessalonians 2, 9, 4, 11. I work with my own hands. He was a tent maker with Achille and Priscilla. He provided for those who were with him. He told the Thessalonians, you know, we could have made demands of you. We did not. We work with our own hands. We showed you what it was to be a Christian. Wow. The Bible gives us a great example of the practical principle of working. Listen. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides 
her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you slumber, O slugger? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. It takes hard work for you to provide for yourself. And it takes hard work and diligent thinking so you can provide for the future for yourself. And then be wise enough that you are benevolent to others also. Do you realize that only 5% of America is able to retire right now that are a retiring age because they never put nothing away? 5%. Wow. Ah, I'm 18. Tomorrow you're 65. Not fast. The scriptures are very clear that every person is to work and earn their own keep as a single person. And the man is to provide for his own home. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. Paul says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Now we always want to be sensitive and benevolent, but there's always people that want to take advantage of you. You need to understand that. Paul declared, but if anyone does not provide for his own house, and especially for those of his own household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. First Timothy 5, 8. That's pretty heavy. I've known people, well, you know, God's called me to the ministry and I quit my job and, you know, and they put their family through all kinds of, no, you're a lazy bum. You're worse than an unbeliever. You don't quit your job. God's not the author of confusion. If God has called you, then he provides for you. If he doesn't provide for you, you called yourself. So you send out letters so that people can support you. You're stealing. Go to work. It's crazy. It drives me nuts. Paul even gave requirements for widows to receive help. Most people don't point this out. Listen carefully. First Timothy 5, 9 through 10. He says, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into a number. So in other words, if she's not 60, she's not considered a widow. And not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported of good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lost strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. She had to meet that criteria to get help. Wow. Churches don't do that. Paul denied help for the younger widows because they might deter their, their commitment to, com- to follow Christ. Listen carefully. 1 Timothy 5, 11 through 13. But refuse the younger widows for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. Having condemnation. So they're supporting them and then all of a sudden they get married because they have cast off their first faith. They walk away from Christ. 
And besides, they learned to be idle, wandering from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossipers, busybodies, saying things they are not. So in other words, if the church is supporting them, they don't have to work. Well, they're just from house to house. They're running around, and, you know, they got a new boyfriend, this and that, whatever. No. You don't do that. You think, I'm hardcore. Sheesh. There are many ways believers can steal from other believers or unbelievers by not giving your employer a full day's work due to witnessing on the job. You witness outside after the job or before the job, not during the job. By taking advantage of others who are believers, who are benevolent and will help you with money and housing, but you take advantage of that. That's the way believers can take advantage of people. By borrowing money or business for a business loan or personal and you never pay it back. I know pastors that are liars. (laughs) I hear them on the radio. Wow. I know pastors that are thieves. Hmm. Paul puts it this way, Galatians 6, 9 through 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the house of God. So in spite of everything we've pointed out, we don't let that deter us and just look at people, are you going to reap? No, no, we trust God. We don't allow the few who are rats and dishonest to deter our goodness and love of the Lord for others who we can help. You understand? There's that balance. And I would much rather be burnt than to not help somebody. So there's a caution. The believer is not to steal from others, but to give to others. Man. Paul has mentioned three sins only that are prevalent to the old man since we still have a sin nature that resides in us. And so he prohibits the believer from practicing these. The believer is not to lie, but to speak truth. The believer is not to allow righteous anger to lead to sin, but be spirit-controlled. And the believer is not to steal from others, but to give to others. How are you doing? You get to score your own test. <laughs> People are looking, ladies and gentlemen, whether you and I are for real. Bottom line. Practical living. That's what the Bible is all about, because he has enabled us. Father, thank you for your grace, your love, and your goodness. Thank you for your word, and that it sets us so straight. It corrects us, and it reminds us that you are there to enable us, Lord, so we thank you. Pray for every person tonight. Your hand be upon us, Lord, and you would deal with our hearts. If we have uh, missed the mark on this on a regular basis, whether we have just been trusting ourselves. 
as you're praying, if you're here tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you're over the internet or the radio, right where you sit, if you believe Jesus is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, then you can call upon him and he will forgive you of your sins and give to you eternal life. And he will make a new creature of you. It comes through a prayer of repentance. If you want to be born again, right where you sit right now, you say this prayer to Jesus, not to us, but to the Lord. And he's going to save you. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.